You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Elizabeth Lynn. Her two most recent books are Dragon's Winter and Dragon's Treasure. Thank you for joining me, Elizabeth. Happy to be here. Elizabeth, first off, let me congratulate you on the wonderful reading. Are, are, are you a, a drama graduate at some point in your, your career? <laughs> Not at all, but I'm a martial arts instructor and one learns how to project. Now, uh, one of the things that interested me about the, the book you read from, uh, as I was hearing this, I was thinking, you know, these are characters, are people, they're like people I know. I could, I've met many people like this, but in entirely different societies and entirely different situations. So I wonder if you'd talk to me about creating realistic characters who are compelling to people who live in this world, but when the characters live in a completely different world. That's a really interesting question. I think that my writing tends to be character-driven. I love language, and so how words are used and what words are used are really important to me. But the heart of what I write is the characters, and so I have to be able to live inside the characters that I create. And I assume that if I can do that, then the people who read my books can also do that. Now, tell us uh, about creating this world that, that you've created. It, it's not like any world that I've, that I've ever encountered or lived in. So, uh, I mean, do you, uh, when you're working on this kind of uh, material, do you create the world first in your mind in a general way and then start creating the characters and just, or do you uh, just go, Joe said, bang? Usually what happens and this is just my process. Other writers, I'm sure, do it very differently. In fact, I know they do. Usually what happens for me is that a character appears in my psyche, and that character has some kind of world around her or him. And it becomes my job as I write the book to discover the details of that world. The worlds that I write are um, not so very different than the one that we inhabit, though, of course, um, my world tends to have, as it were, real magic in it, and the one that we live in, well, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, I won't go there. But, um, I mean, we have swords, and they have swords. We have wheels, carts, horses, dogs, uh, castles, they have all those things, too. They have dragons, we don't. Now, uh, I, I, dragons are a really interesting uh, trope in science fiction, and, and writers deal with them in many, many different ways. So uh, I like the way that you deal with them. Could you tell me about how you, you uh, conceived of this? And how, how, It sounds like it's a lot of fun to explore these, the dragons in your world. Well, what you didn't get from the reading, because I don't think it's in that first chapter, is that Caridur Atani, the golden dragon, is what his world calls a changeling. He can be human or dragon. He has now some control over that. Uh, Dragon's Winter, the first book, uh, was about how he achieved that control. I think that uh, other writers have chosen to write about uh, 
dragons in different ways. Uh, I like my character, and it's been interesting for me to explore what it means to be a changeling. He's not the only changeling in this world. Uh, there are changeling wolves, and in fact, Dragon's Winter had a very important character in it who was a changeling wolf. There are changeling hawks, and there is a continuing character in both Dragon's Winter and Dragon's Treasure who is a changeling hawk, and there are other changelings that I'm not going to tell you about. I, I like this concept of, of changelings. This, this is a lot of fun. Um, could you talk about when uh, a character, when a human is transformed into something that's not human, uh, how do you deal with the psyche of what resides inside that non-human form as a writer and, and as somebody uh, who's a plotter? I mean, you know, you don't look too dragon-esque to me. Oh, but you don't know me that well. I carry all of my characters in my head. Uh, how do you deal with it? By going deep. I really don't have any other words to explain it. That question is, is really about what it means to be a fiction writer. Tell me a little bit about, let's, let's ratchet back and talk about your, your career as a science fiction writer. When, when did you uh, first decide to start writing science fiction? I mean, did you get the, the, the thing in the back of the comic book that said, get rich quick? No. <laughs> Gosh, I never saw that. Uh, and if I had, it probably wouldn't have made any sense to me. No, I, um, I think I started writing science fiction because it was what I loved to read. And I think that's true for many science fiction and fantasy writers. I was an omnivorous science fiction and fantasy reader. Uh, I was turned on to science fiction and fantasy by my mother, who was herself um, a very serious science fiction and fantasy reader and not a fan in the, in the sense that we know fandom. But um, she loved the books. I mean, it was she who first put The City and the Stars in my hand and said, read this. And uh, I will be forever grateful to her for that. I don't know why, when I started writing, it was that that came out. Possibly because, like many people, I felt like an alien in my world. Um, now, when I started writing, we're talking about high school. Uh, what I wrote was crap in high school. But that's okay. At least I kept writing it. I didn't start writing with any kind of professionalism uh, until, oh, let's say about 1972 or 73. And it took me five years from the time that I sat down at that desk and said, okay, now I'm going to learn how to do this like a professional. It took me five years to actually sell my first story. I spent those five years writing things sending them to people and getting them back with letters that said, thank you, this is not for us. Uh, when you get a letter back that says, thank you, this is not for us, that strikes me as not helpful. So how did you um, improve your craft? And uh, also, I wanted to talk, too, about the time when you were first writing. I mean, that's a really exciting time for science fiction. Um, that's the, the, the middle, when science fiction, the new wave, was the, when science fiction first began to think maybe we're like a literary genre. Yes, that's true. Um, I must confess that I was not uh, a part of the new wave, um, mostly because, oh, I was still stuck on uh, the old wave. I loved The City and the Stars. 
I love, what can we call it? Well, <laughs> Marta Randall's word for it was um, batty zappers. <laughs> you know? Screens flaring into the ultraviolet. I, I can't say that I love the Lensman series. I didn't. It was silly writing. But I love space operas, and that's what I wrote when I first started writing science fiction, was I wrote space operas. I only came to an appreciation of the new wave somewhat later when I encountered Joanna Russ and Joanna Russ's writing. And then I was blown away. That brings another question to my mind. I mean, the the people who influenced you and who were, you know, you were writing with and somewhat, you know, competing with were, were all men. And for the most part, you, you, there were a few women in there, but... I don't think that's so. Um, I would not compare myself to Ursula Le Guin, but she was certainly, while not my compatriot, she was someone that I looked up to and someone whose writing I deeply admired. There were women writers. They weren't as well-known as the men writers. I mean, Marta Randall, Fonda McIntyre, who wrote Dream Snake, Kate Wilhelm, uh, Lee Brackett, of course, wrote Batty Zappers, but they were wonderful wonderful books. There were women writing. But, you know, it didn't hurt to be compared to the men. I enjoyed that. It was an interesting challenge. I like challenges. Starting back then, when science fiction was young and somewhat kind of radical and strange and weird, and um, uh, now science fiction is like utterly the most mainstream thing in the entire universe. You cannot escape it. I guess that's true. I never thought that it was weird and radical, though, because I'd grown up reading it. And so it just seemed to me to be part of the literary universe. It always surprised me when people would look at the books I was carrying around as I rode the buses in San Francisco and kind of go, funny face. I I didn't understand that. This was what I read. And uh, that everybody gets to do that now just strikes me as, uh, you know, the gravy on the roast beef. You're, you started out writing space operas, and, and now, now you're working on a, a, a fantasy series. Uh, how did that ha- come about? Well, I wrote fantasy, too, earlier. Um, the Chronicles of Tornor was my second, third, and fourth book. Then I went back to space opera and wrote The Sardonic's Net. Then I went back to fantasy. In between that time, the time that Net finished and the fantasy started again, I was away from writing for about 12 years. I can't quite tell you why one came out and then the other came out. I guess I don't think of them as separate. They live in my head, and I'm one person. That's uh, interesting. I love this idea of, of these characters uh, living in your head. That's a, that's a really interesting approach. You wouldn't like it if you had to live with them. <laughs> well, uh, I, I'll... I'll Take your take take your word for that. Um, when when you're creating these characters and when they're coming coming to, to form in your head, um, how do you know um, what form you're going to what form the the fiction is going to take? Science fiction, fantasy, short story, uh, novel. Do you do you know? Does that happen right with the character right at the beginning? No, it doesn't. I. Uh, but you understand that the. The process is twofold. There's the walking around all day with these characters in my head, letting the words kind of rub together, and then there's the part where I sit at my desk and write for hours. 
And it's the time when I sit at my desk and write for hours that the form comes clear and that I know this person, as, as the characters coalesce, they have a story to tell. How long is that story? Uh, I have found recently that what happens is I'm writing shorter pieces of fiction, novellas, novelettes, even short stories, within the universe of the most recent novels that I have written. So Dragon's Treasure in particular, but also Dragon's Winter, they have, they have stories in them. The Hawk Changeling, who is in both Dragon's Winter and Dragon's Treasure, is a storyteller. And she tells stories in those books, which of course had to be separately written because they are complete stories and they have their own characters. So the forms become clear to me as I work with the characters. Now, one thing that, that, is, that we are, have today, science fiction writers have as an outlet today, are, are video games. I mean, this is a completely new territory. Have you considered like a... a writing for video games is that how does that work for you i'm afraid it doesn't i don't play video games so i know they exist i know a lot of people who have a great time with them i haven't thought that i would go in that direction and and, um as you know the the science fiction uh market used to be pretty big there were you there were a lot of uh, magazines out there to be published and a lot of and a lot of uh publishers out there and the whole publishing market has shrunk lately so uh, I'm wondering how that affects what you do and where you go you know when I'm writing I don't think about the end I don't think about the oh I'm going to have to send this to my agent and he's going to have to find someone who would be willing to publish it and they're going to pay me money and he's going to negotiate with them for that I don't think about that I just think about getting the words down on that computer screen. And yes, I do use a computer, of course, but I didn't always. I wrote an awful lot of books on an IBM Selectric typewriter, and my first book was written longhand in a notebook. But I don't think about that end point. I, uh, it's not where I need to put my energy. And I th- some writers can do that. It's easy for them to just switch back and forth between the process of getting the stories out and then what happens to them when they're done. I can't. Well, tell me what you're working on now and what we can look forward to seeing from you next and where to see it. Sorry, I never answer that question. I'd be happy if people would go to the bookstores and find copies of Dragon's Winter and Dragon's Treasure. I believe that both of them are still available. Uh, through the usual places in paperback, though I don't know if the hardcovers are still available, but they might be. The hardcovers are really pretty books, by the way, but the paperbacks are nice. But I never talk about what I'm working on. I've been speaking with Elizabeth Lynn. Her latest novels are Dragon's Winter and Dragon's Treasure. Thank you for joining me, Elizabeth. Thank you so very much for the opportunity. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.